legends and welcome to Unbeatable You, where we connect, thrive and conquer. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm super grateful for your valuable time. So let's just dive straight in. Keep thriving and enjoy. Cooper Chapman, you bloody legend. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Mate, thank you for having me. It's great to be back here in Studio Studio Six. Second time in a couple of days. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Different podcast recording. Mate, what are you grateful for today? What am I grateful for today? Grateful for a new mindset. I've had a bit of a slump. Not a slump, but I've been in a bit of an interesting place the last couple of weeks, overwhelmed with quite a lot of work, whereas this week I'm trying to really strategize and be clear on what I want to achieve this week. So it's Monday morning while we're recording right now. And yeah, I'm grateful for that shift in mindset this week. Beautiful. I love it. And the reason I ask you that is because you start your own podcast asking every guest what they're grateful for. And I'm repping the, the merch from you today and it's a gratitude tea. When I saw that you had them, I said, bring me one in because I'm addicted to gratitude. I'll wear that. It aligns with me fully. When I first started listening to your podcast recently and heard you open up that way and you use gratitude as a tool I loved it. I resonated with it straight away because I've for years and years I've been saying that I'm addicted to gratitude. When I still remember in 2017 when I first started expressing gratitude and learning more about gratitude and I realized, oh, I think I'm a pretty grateful person anyway, but this expression of it, not just expressing it, but actually feeling it mm. when I express the gratitude, it makes me feel better. And so the more I did it, the better I felt. So that's what I say now I'm addicted to it because it makes me bloody feel good. Yeah. I love the way you said that because it's something I learned from my sports psychologist. He said, try not make gratitude a thought, but try and make it a feeling. And when I heard that, it kind of in my mind and my body made me really reflect on the amount of times that we're just thinking about what we're grateful for, but not really feeling it. So when you said just then really feeling grateful, I think there's a really big point in that, that when we're trying to reflect and be grateful, not to just make it up in our head, but to really bring it down into our body and make it a feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And the science behind that, and there's been a lot of studies now actually interviewed a woman in 2017, early days of my podcast, and she was doing some scientific research at the Australian Institute of Sport. And that's how I met her. I was coaching through there back then uh, on the science of gratitude and using it with athletes. But I love the work that uh, Dr. Do Dr. Joe Dispenza does as well and studying gratitude and the science of it. And this is why we know it actually makes you feel good. They test your brainwave frequencies, your heart rate variability and your hormones and see that all your helpful and healthy hormones shoot up and your stressful hormones go down when you're not just thinking thoughts of gratitude, but actually feeling it. Mm. I love that. It's a really powerful thing and it's crazy. We don't get taught it at schools. That's why I'm so proud of the work that I get to do, which I'm sure we'll get, get to through this chat um, and get to teach kids how to practice gratitude and teach people the importance of it, but also the science behind it because we don't get taught that stuff at school. And like you said, the more you learn the science, the easier it is to practice because you know, oh, it's not just me thinking something and making myself maybe feel good. There's a lot of great science now that proves that it does make you feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, the way that you did deliver that, you've got the good human factory and you do work in schools and you do work with other epic humans in, in many different environments. Tell us a little bit about that. Where How did that come about? Where does that come from? I tell this story a lot, but I'll tell it again. I loved getting to talk about the Good Human Factory. So growing up, I had some family history with mental illness. I lost an uncle when I was quite young to suicide. I watched my dad struggle quite a bit throughout my teen years. And I was always very aware that mental health is something that may be a bit of a problem in my life or something that I really need to be cautious of. So there was always this sort of underlying fear almost growing up that mental health might be something in my life I need to really take care of. And I also had this weird fear that I didn't want to get help. I felt like I'd lived such a great life as a kid through being a professional athlete and having pretty much as good of an upbringing as you could ask for. Great family, parents still together, a few sisters, or three sisters. Um, so I don't know why, but I felt this like fear to go and ask for help. So I put a lot of work in myself to read books and to get, understand what what might work for me because I began to realize that we don't really get taught anything about mental health at school that aligned with me anyway. Um, and then fast forward a few years throughout my twenties, I did do a lot of work, worked with my sports psychologist, began to understand myself a bit better and read a lot of self-development books and began to realize that there's unlimited information out there. There's so many great experts that we can read and um, gather knowledge from on ways to think, ways to view the world and all the great different science behind all these holistic approaches for our mental health that I didn't really know about until I did that research myself. So fast forward a few years, I had no 
intention at all to start a mental health business. And then my younger sister was in her last year of high school in year 12, uh, back, I think it was 2018. And she came home from school one day and me, mum, dad, three sisters are all sitting around the dinner table. And Sophia, my younger sister said, one of the boys in her year had taken his own life. And that was something that I remember just sitting around that table going like, far out, that sucks. Like I'm traveling the world at the time, getting paid to surf, living the most amazing life. And there's young kids in my area that are taking their own life because they're so unhappy and don't have the skills to manage their mental health. And that really hit a nerve with me, but kind of as most of us do, we post an Instagram tile, have a conversation or two, life goes on. Uh, two weeks later, I came home sitting around the dinner table, exact same situation, mum, dad, three sisters, and my younger sister said another boy in a year had taken his life. And that was a moment that I just remember going like, nah, I need to try and do something about this. Once again, no idea to start a business, but I'd, I saw my dad kind of while we're having dinner that night and when I sort of verbalized, I want to try and do something about this, he reflected on the fact that I'd just run a few surf camps to sort of help fund my surf career um, at Manly Surf School and taken eight kids through intensive surf camp for a weekend. And during that weekend, we did a whole range of things from surfing to skateboarding to workouts to a nutrition talk. But then we also did a little meditation and mindfulness exercise. And after the camp, that's what a lot of the parents were telling me and my dad and uh, my inner circle that the kids really got something out of. Um, and then, so yeah, that night where my, where my younger sister said she lost her second friend to suicide, my dad was like, why don't you maybe do a workshop at schools and tell them about what your story is about these skills that I know you've put a lot of work in your mental health over throughout your twenties. Maybe you can go and talk to some kids at school about your journey and that might help someone. And I was like, all right, why not? So I went and spoke to my old school teacher at Narrabeen Sports High. His name's Ian Wood, Woody, absolute legend. He um, was a, a close teacher, friend of mine. He was quite young when we were in our last years of school and um, I got along really well with him. And he was also a careers advisor and was also very entrepreneurial. And I just gave him a call and said, hey, mate, can we have a beer um, down at the pub, like down the road from where we live? I'd love to talk through some ideas. And he was like, sure. So we went down at a chat. I told him kind of what had happened at this other school, my sister's school, two suicides. And he's like, mate, there's um a big need obviously for this, for young people to come in and inspire kids to talk and think about mental health a bit differently. But there's also a pretty good opportunity to start a business because he was pretty entrepreneurial, this teacher, and was always looking for ways to sort of start a business. And he said to me, like, this is a great opportunity for you. Like, if you want to get into it, you'll connect well with the students. There's not many young public speakers that will be able to relate like you can. Um, if you come into our school and you give us a presentation, I'll give you some feedback. And that was three years ago now. And in the last three years, I've spoken to 30,000 students. I've spoken to thousands of corporates and had half a million podcast downloads. And yeah, it's been crazy juggling that with my surf career, the first sort of two years of it. And then the last year I've taken a bit of a step back from surfing and really focused my energy on, yeah, the good human factory. And it's been a wild ride. So the good human factory, is that the the vessel that is helping you serve the mental health side of the what you do? Absolutely. So the good human factory is the overall business. And funnily enough, the name came from that original teacher we're sitting there talking about it and I was like, what should I call it? And he's like, oh, you're a good human for wanting to do this. And I was like, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And he was like, why don't you call it like the good human factory? Kids come, they come to your workshop like a factory and then they leave and they're a bit better. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. We'll call it the good human factory. And it just stuck. Um, so initially it was just going to be workshops and then yeah, the organization brand, I guess what you'd want to call it as a whole has now sort of developed into five key pillars and yeah, it's continuing to grow and trying to learn how to run a business and trying to learn how to do all that stuff. But yeah, it's just, I call the good human factor is the overall thing. Then there's good humans podcast, good human merch. Um, but the whole thing, the whole vision of the whole business is just to connect curious minds with simple mental health strategies. Connect curious minds with simple mental health strategies, simple, powerful. What are the five key pillars? So there's the workshops, number one. I think that's always going to be something that I'm truly passionate about, getting to stand up in front of young people, in front of corporates and share my story has been a privilege for the last couple of years. A lot of imposter syndromes come with it, but the feedback I've now gathered from thousands and tens of thousands of people 
is that the workshop I'm um, offering is having a great impact. So that's been a big one. So workshops is number one. Podcast is number two. Good Humans Podcast has been around for the last two years now. Um, about to hit guest episode 100, which has been really cool. Over half a million downloads. It's been, yeah, epic to just have incredible conversations with people and learn from them. And once again, by listening to other people's stories who are experts in their fields, we can connect curious minds with simple strategies. Um, third one is the merchandise that I do. Just trying to have products that have a bit more of a purpose than just buying a shirt. It's like, oh, I'm going to buy something that connects me to a message that I believe in, but also is going to make me feel good when I look in the mirror and I see gratitude written on my chest. It's a little reminder to practice gratitude when I see on my chest, be kind to your mind. It's that little subtle reminder we need. So I created a merch range, which is really high quality stuff that I'd be happy to wear out as a bit of a nice sort of fashion statement, but also it have that really powerful underlying mental health message. I didn't want to go the whole, I don't want to talk about on any of the other mental health organizations, but I didn't want to go down this real like mental health, like branding thing. I wanted it to be like kind of cool with subtle messaging. So merchandise is pillar three. Um, pillar four is the 1% community, well, I guess, I guess community. Um, so the 1% community is every morning I send a guide to meditation um, on an Instagram group chat. And every night I send three things I'm grateful for. That's been going on for 650 days now, almost two years. Um, there's nine Instagram group chats, completely free. The reason um, why I did that was to create accountability groups for people. We're 800% more likely to maintain a new habit if we have an accountability group. So I was like, I need the accountability to give 1% of my day to my mental health. 1% of a 24-hour day is 14 minutes. So the guys of the 1% club is 10 minutes meditation, four minutes gratitude. We've given 1% of our day to our mental health. So yeah, the community is completely free. It was just something I wanted to do so that the good human factory isn't just workshops and purchasing and listening to our podcast as a place that you can really get um, a bit of help on your journey. That's a free resource for anyone. So if you want to join, just send at the good human factory, a DM on Instagram saying, I want to join the club. Um, that's pillar four. And then pillar five is kind of, I, I guess I put under pillar four as well, our ambassadors, just more of the community of people that are helps trying to spread the message. And then pillar five, I guess is events. We're sort of, I'm just building right now some different key events from mindful morning activations to um, a retreat we're throwing in Bali a little bit later in the year. So yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm juggling all by myself at the moment. I'm just about to bring a business partner on. I'm in talks at the moment. I've got a girl that does um, a day a week with me helping out a little bit, but yeah, 90% percent of stuff is just me trying to work it out and well, move forward in the right direction. <laughs> it sounds very purpose-driven. I want to dig into a few different things. First of all, I'd love to know when you do your presentations and your workshops with whether it's school kids or corporate or whoever it is, what are the key things that you're focusing on there when when you're talking about mental health? Like obviously gratitude is a pillar that you, you teach and you speak about. What else are you expressing in those workshops to help support people with tools and strategies to support their mental health? Yeah. So obviously I'm not a psychologist, so I don't want to go in there and be the person who comes to talk about anxiety, depression, suicide. I really think mental health has two sides of the coin. There's mental illness and then there's mental health. Mental illness is something that 20% of us statistically will be diagnosed with here in Australia. Mental health is something 100% of us have. Every single person has mental health and we all need to do some stuff to take care of it. So that's the reason why I do the workshop is to try and inspire the 80% to develop these basic, basic skills that we all can do for free every day that can bring our well-being up based on science. So the story behind why I do the workshop and a whole base behind it is the fact that when I was a junior surfer, I used to base my whole self-worth, my whole identity was Cooper the pro surfer. And when my results started to decline, my mental health started to decline, which was very difficult once I went from one of the top juniors to sort of middle of the pack on the international qualifying tour and that made my mental health struggle. But my sports psych said something to me when I was about 20 that really stuck with me. He said, I want you to stop basing your self-worth and your identity on your surf career and your achievements. And I want you to start basing it on how well you can live to your values. And when he said that to me, it sort of unlocked a whole new way of thinking about my own life, my own world. And I began to try and find what my values are. So that's what the workshop is, explaining that story. And then going through the five key values with some simple stories, some exercises that go with them. So the five values are the first one's responsibility. We need to take responsibility, build for one, the awareness that we have a choice, whether we want to be the victim or the hero of our story. 
and then taking action, making taking responsibility. All right, I do need to do a couple things weekly, daily to improve my well-being. So step one's responsibility. Step two is gratitude, something we should all have in our life, whether it be writing three things down each night. It can be as simple as when you brush your teeth, just thinking in your head what are three things that went well today. So gratitude, big one. Empathy is my third one, just letting people know the importance that we need to be able to listen to people, respect other people's feelings and emotions and really drop judgment. The world we're living in is so full of judgment and um, yeah, we can all be a bit more empathetic. Fourth one's mindfulness. Meditation something I've really tried to add into my life daily and see profound benefits. You look up anywhere online, beneficial things for your mental health and meditation is quite generally in the top one, two or three things. So mindfulness, encouraging people just to be able to be present, develop the skills to be present. And the last value is kindness. It's something that I've done a lot of study in the area now and it baffles me that we're not taught the science behind kindness at school. So I'm the one who's lucky enough to go and talk to kids about the science behind kindness. And yeah, they're the five values that ties into a nice, neat little one hour interactive keynote and yeah, it's been really cool to get to share it and develop it and get better at it and shift and adapt. And yeah. I want to come back to a couple of things, but whilst it's on my mind with the kindness, do you know uh, Kath Cashel and the Kindness Factory? I haven't read that yet, but I have seen um, Ben Crow post something about it recently. I need to grab that. Yeah. Uh, you need to get her on your podcast. She's an okay. epic, like beyond good human. She's amazing. I'm good friends with her. I've had her on a few times. So I'll, I'll connect you guys because Please do. yeah, talk about kindness and the ripple effect. It'll enhance everything that you're already doing. So it's a definitely a valuable value that you've got there. Something that you said there too was around what your sports psych said to you as a 20 year old is what a lot of people don't hear even up until they're 40, 50, or sometimes people it will slip by. I'm, I still experience, I'm not surprised by it. I used to be, but it's just uh, the way lo- the society is, how many people go through their lives without actually realizing that they connect their identity to what they do and they have a disconnect to who they really are. Mm-hmm. And that understanding of who we re- really are is that alignment of our key and core values in, within ourselves, and also understanding how we operate at, at, at a deeper level. When you step into these environments, let's say we'll put schools aside, but into to corporate environments. So when you're w- working with um, adults, is it a higher percentage of people that aren't connected to values that that you find you get that kind of feedback from people that are more connected, their identity is more connected to what they do as opposed to who they are, like what you were as a surfer as a, in your 20s? I think like you said, a lot of people don't get explained that ever. And it's like that message is just the biggest mindset shift. But I think a lot of kids are maybe unaware of it at that age. That's why I love getting to share it with kids because there'll be a handful in the room who will be like, oh yeah, when I start thinking like that, I don't need to. Um, but yeah, definitely my corporate groups, you have so many people, which can be quite difficult sometimes because you do a big corporate group and everybody's there working hard to like grow the business. But yeah, encouraging people to realize that there's more to them than how they are in their business. And then the byproduct of it is increased productivity anyway. Like when we have people like, I think mental health costs, um, Australian industry, like $10.4 billion a year or something. So once we realize that, Hey, by just making our staff feel better. It's actually going to cost, like it's going to save us money. Um, but yeah, I think mainly that disconnect does come when people get into their sort of corporate life and into that working age. And it is hard sometimes to disconnect with that. But I think young athletes is a massive, massive one. Like obviously you hear of a lot of athletes really struggling post-career, post-gold medals, like understanding there's more to you than being an athlete is a huge one. Yeah, massively powerful. And I ask that question without judgment to people too. And a lot of people that I work with that come across that, it's always, you know, suspend judgment, but just identifying this is actually where a lot of your um, internal dialogue that's leading down like negativity and pessimism or a lot of the doubt and the worry and the fear, which can lead to mental illness Mm. and and aspects of that, uh, where it can come from. So it's a really powerful place to focus their attention on. And I really like what you said. I've been massive advocate for that for years and years and years is around mental health, not mm. mental illness. Mm. And there's a huge space and importance and value on the, the organizations that focus on the mental illness aspects. And there's a huge space and value on organizations like yourself that focus on the proactive approach to mental health. Cause when you even put those words aside, it's about um, understanding how we are as humans and ensuring that we have tools and strategies in place to live our best life. Absolutely. And you take that into a work environment, like you said, that's productivity. You take that into relationships, that's connection. You mm. take that into personally, that's that's 
like love, self-love, self-connection uh, and all those pillars. One thing that you talked about earlier too, I want to explore. I'm really curious about the way that people's minds work. And you mentioned that you had imposter syndrome through part of the process with your business. Talk to me more about that. Oh, I have it every day. I was going to say, because when you said had, is it still a have? Oh, have, have. <laughs> Congratulations, you are human. You oh, experience yeah, yeah. imposter syndrome. Oh, seriously, I feel like we all do. I mean, I feel like if you don't experience imposter syndrome, then you're probably not shooting high enough. Well said. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the start, the imposter syndrome was who am I to come and talk to people about mental health? Like I'm not a qualified mental health practitioner. But then that went on for a little bit. And then I found it really hard to like get any bookings. Initially, I was like, oh, sweet. I'll pitch to schools. I'm a pro surfer. I'd love to come in and speak to students. I'm doing it at a pretty cheap rate. It took me years to be able to build any credibility, to build any rapport with schools for them to want me to come back. Like my first year, I might have done like two workshops. The second year, maybe like six or seven workshops. Third year, like COVID and stuff. So it's like trying to get your foot in the door has been so hard. And that kind of added to the imposter syndrome of like, oh, well, who am I compared to all these other great speakers and organizations? Um, but the thing that's really helped me a lot with imposter syndrome, and I recommend this to anyone who's a speaker or anyone who does any work, um, is to get feedback. Feedback has been the biggest dollar of imposter syndrome for me. Hopefully your feedback's positive like mine is to help with the imposter syndrome. If it's negative feedback, then that might kind of justify like my just identifying you, where yeah, you can do something better yeah, <laughs> to yeah, improve. Yeah. But majority of my feedback has been really positive, which has kind of made me lean, like feel a bit better about the imposter syndrome going, well, no, it's actually working. There's some proof in the pudding. So that's been hard, but then just with everything, every time there's sort of that next bit of growth in the business, I'm like, well, I don't really know anything about business. So it's like another, another level, another devil of imposter syndrome. But yeah, I feel like I just expect it and sort of accept it now. Do you use mental reframes a lot? So when you catch those stories in your mind of who am I, or I'm not a business person, so therefore I don't know this. So when you catch that, that mindset and that language and that story, your ability to reframe it and say, oh, hang on that's just a story, who I am is this and or asking empowering questions like this is one I love working with people and I use it myself a lot. If I did know this in business as an example, if I did know, what would I do? And just that little frame, that reframe oh, in there allows you to take a little bit different action because it's so normal that we get caught up in who am I, I don't, you know, I'm not a business person and here I am running this business and I don't know this about business, therefore I can't do that. That's just a story. And then you stop and go, if I did know, what would I do? See, my one that I do in that kind of situation is, well, anybody who does it for the first time doesn't know what they're doing. That's kind of my version cool. of that. If I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, it's like, yeah, well, anybody who's doing it for the first time doesn't know what they're doing. So it's like this is just my first time of doing stuff. That's kind of, yeah. Brilliant. And yeah. then you can add on to that. So if I did know, what would I do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, well, yeah, I'll just try my absolute best. If I get it wrong, I'll pivot. That's kind of the beauty of being the own, being the owner of the business. You don't sort of, you got to be harsh on yourself, but you can also take risks and understand that you can continue to pivot. Love it. When you, I've heard you talk about breath work before. When you do your workshops and work with people, do you bring breathing or breath work into your teachings to enhance mental health? Once again, I'm not a qualified breath work instructor. It's something I do do every single day of my life, but I don't bring breath work per se into my workshops. I do do an exercise at the end, which is part of my kindness, um, kindness value where I just say, be kind to yourself. And most of us aren't actually breathing in a way that's being kind to ourselves, And obviously you'd know all about the fact that if we're breathing through our nose into the bottom of our belly, it's far better for our physiology, for lowering our heart rate, for calming us. But I forget that most people don't know this stuff. Like this is like basic, basic when you learn, when you're a sort of young athlete or somewhat elite person with a bit of a curious mind that, oh yeah, we need to breathe through the bottom of our stomach and through our nose because there's all these things in our nose. I just finished reading um, Breath by James, James Nestor. Nestor yep. Incredible book. So I'm all about breath work at the moment and about, <laughs> and about nose breathing. Um, Good. Yeah. Open your mouth when you yeah, sleep. Yeah, I've been trying to. Good. It's been interesting. When you ride the bike home from here, mouth closed, all right? Only nose breathing. Okay, <laughs> all the way, all the way. Um, but, yeah, so in that I literally just do like a three-breath thing with my the class. I say put one hand on your belly button, one hand on your chest just so it makes it super like visual and you can feel it too. And we're just going to make the bottom hand rise first, make it simple. 
And then I just say to the people, like, and we do four seconds in, four seconds out, drop the shoulders really to the bottom of the belly. And then I just sort of explain to people, like, your breath is with you at every moment of every day. There's breath work and then there's just conscious breathing. When you catch yourself being a bit stressed or anxious, check in with yourself. I can almost guarantee your breath will be through your mouth and into your chest if you're stressed or anxious. When we control our breathing and bring it back through our nose to our belly, it's going to calm any situation down at least a couple percent. Yeah, well said. And that what you could link also because I'm a breathwork instructor and teach a lot of it and that that basic breathing I always come back to. So that's coherence breathing, the even rhythmic breathing, the same amount in as the same amount out when you're saying four and four. Everything that I've learned, the one that I always come back to and start with with people and just say, if you can master that, then you will have significant improvements in your life. Mm. I did holotropic breathing for the first time on Saturday. How'd you go? It's an experience. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Tell me about the experience. Oh, I did um, a man, do you know Michael Cooper? No. Anyway, um, it was epic. He had like all drums and like didgeridoo and it went for like three hours. It's crazy. But uh, I did like a men's activation retreat thing. Some of my friends through. It was a really nice day. We did like, had like a sexologist there talking about like being a superior lover. And then we had like a Muay Thai person there and we did ice baths and then we did this holotropic breathing. And I'd done a lot of breath work before and it was so different. Mm. The double breath in to the out and then we're in a room with like 30 men and everyone like got encouraged to like use your vocals to get the vibration on the out breaths. They were all screaming for like, it was a crazy experience. And I started like tensing up like crazy. I had like my hands and arms, like I couldn't keep them on the ground. They're like up like bloody pincers. It was, and my legs, I, when I finished, I'd like felt like I'd run a marathon because I didn't realize, but I'd been like, tensing my calf muscles for like the whole time and it felt like I'd run a marathon when I finished but from a experience point of view it was crazy like went in and out of like consciousness throughout the breathing so many times where I was just like whoa wait I'm meant to be holding my breath now and yeah it was really relaxing getting to sort of like scream out I'm a I'm a pretty timid person I'm very like have like a no dial at all for anger I just do not see the point of it but it was nice to sort of have that release for a second, even though just to give yourself permission for that. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was like I got boiling hot for a while, then I got freezing cold. I've finished in like a puddle of sweat. Like it was just a crazy experience, but it was something that, yeah, I really enjoyed. It was nice to like push to that limit of something different. Mm. And what you're saying there too, the way that, uh, we hold emotions, like emotions are the language of our body, mm. thoughts are the language of our mind. So that breath work, holotropic, um, rebirthing, all of the different kinds allow us to process emotions mm. in a healthy kind of way. And the the tensing up, every time I do the the longer breath work sessions, I always get that, like yeah. a little velociraptor type yeah, arms yeah. and just the change in physiology. But hearing you talk about that, so when, you know, anger not being a thing but that expression, it's like that's a healthy expression. Mm. It doesn't even have to be anger. It's just like emotion, the word energy is uh, sorry energy emotion is energy in motion so it's just creating that motion as well yeah really cool so back to um what you're talking about there what i was going to say is using the breath will uh can be in the mindset part as well because one one big thing we know about a busy mind and, and even with mental health and, and anxiety um if we're looking at the mental illness side of things but not full anxiety but even just anxiousness like we all experience anxiousness it's this overthinking type um behavior and thinking that we're not going to achieve something or thinking that we're not going to get through the day or just completely overthinking and over strategizing this can actually put us into like a, a mindset of doubt and worry and fear into our amygdala and our fear-based mindset so then the breathing can actually just even that coherence breathing just brings us back to kind of a midline and taking us from that reactive emotionally reactive irrational part of our mind into our rational logical thinking part of our mind and allowing us then to actually interact and respond as opposed to react mm. so the way that you, what you're using it is covering a, a few of those pillars like definitely being kind to yourself but also in that mindset piece mm. yeah it's just it, it relates really under the mindfulness and then in mindfulness um, before I talk about kindness I do another exercise where I go we're just going to connect with our senses we're going to connect with three of them we're going to connect what we can see what we can hear and what we can feel to get us out of our thought pattern and into our body because our senses are only in the present moment so the more we can connect with them the more we get out of our head into our body see I do the what can I see for 10 seconds what can I hear for 10 seconds what can I feel for 10 seconds and same kind of thing it gets us out of this 
thought pattern mm. then back into our body. And once we bring consciousness to our breath, it's all these things kind of just trying to bring our mind back, but in a way that isn't just meditation like most of us know. <laughs> and you mentioned there before that it was a bit of a, a fear around a potential um, mental illness line for you based on family members. Have you experienced mental health challenges or any mental illness? Definitely nothing diagnosed. It's something that, yeah, I feel like I've been pretty lucky. Multiple reasons why I think that fear that I had throughout my late teen years allowed me to seek other avenues because we just don't get taught stuff at school. We don't get taught that there's all these other ways that we can take care of our mental health rather than just going the pharmaceutical and the sort of prescription route. So I was, I call myself lucky because of the fear that I had. I had this fear that I didn't want to ask for help. And it was because I felt guilty that I was living this amazing life, traveling professionally surfing. And then when my results declined, I was like, I'm just going to go and see a psychologist because I can't win a heat. Like, no, I need to bring my baseline mental health up. Like, what can I do? And that's when I started reading different books. Like one like Grit by Angela Duckworth was one of the first ones I read. And I was like, oh, wait, there's all these different ways that I can think about my resilience than just, oh, wait, I'm struggling, like go and get help, which is kind of the general prescription. It's like, well, why am I struggling? It's like, oh, because I don't have much purpose in my life. Oh, because I'm not sleeping right. Oh, because I'm not eating well. Oh, because my exercise isn't really up to the point. Once we realize that we need to have all these different domains in our life, right? And that's what I began to realize through reading all these different great books that there's so many great things that we can do. But yeah, once again, we just don't get taught it at school. We don't get taught it in media because most of these things, nobody's making a profit off. They're not product-based or mm. really service-based. There's obviously breath work that you can go and do. But most of this stuff that I talk about, gratitude, mindfulness, kindness, empathy, these are all things that are free, but you have to take responsibility and go and do them. And that's what most people's barrier to entry is. Mm. Do you find after you've worked with organizations, whether it's schools or corporate, that once you teach them and uh, implement these um, pillars and these values, do they maintain them? Do you know? Do you do follow-ups with them to see if they maintain regular gratitude practices, for example, and they maintain regular mindfulness practices? I don't do follow-up beyond kind of directly after the workshop. It's something I need to probably look at doing. Um, but the way I see it is my workshop I find is a way just to spark inspiration. That's what I want to do. I'm not it's like the guy a domino. Exactly. It's and domino. it's the exposure to it. It's like when I was 16 or when I was 15 sitting in school, it might not be after this workshop that they go and practice gratitude, but the next time they hear it, they might go, Oh yeah, I've heard about that before. Mm. And you just don't know who's ready to hear it. The timing, like, the amount of times that I go and do a workshop and the kids who you think like aren't listening are the ones who come up to you after and got so much out of it. So I, I don't do any follow-ups. I probably should look at doing that, but I see myself as kind of that little spark of like, oh yeah, I need to take responsibility myself. Like I don't want to be the guy that's back there a month later having to check in on people. It's like, no, I want you to realize that you have to do it yourself. This is what it's all about. Yeah, cool. Now that makes sense. Um, little shift of gears to more about you, 28 and sober. Yeah. One year, you just had uh, tw 12 months, just celebrated it fully sober. Tell us a bit about that journey, why you did that and what you what you learned from it. Yeah, 12 months without alcohol was um, a bit of a journey. It was, um, and a, aren't you part owner in an alcohol, an alcoholic beverage company? Yeah. yeah, I signed a deal with them about a month before I went sober. <laughs> <laughs> they do not, you do not. We do not alcoholic seltzer too. Yeah, gravity seltzer, shout out, go check it out. Um yeah, so I had I had a neuroscientist on my podcast, this lady by the name of Nicole Vignola from over in the UK. She's brilliant. Um, and we just had a good chat, spoke about her story, spoke about obviously a lot of things to do with the brain, how um, a bunch of things affect the brain from sleep to exercise. And then we spoke about drugs and alcohol. And when she spoke about alcohol, I was just like, so basically everything, like every alcohol is bad for us. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, and wait, we don't really get taught any of this as well at school or really in the media because obviously all the money for a lot of the media comes from alcohol companies, so they're not going to badmouth it. So I was just listening. I was like, you know what? I now know a bit more information about alcohol being bad for you. Like I'm doing this podcast and I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to encourage people to make healthier choices. I will take a year off. And that was like two weeks before my 28th birthday. So 28 and sober, the idea came from, 
well, I've been drinking alcohol legally from 18 to 28, 10 years on. Surely I can give myself a year off now. So it's kind of 10 years on, one year off was the concept and just finished 12 months, didn't have a drop and yeah, feeling pretty good for it. It's been um, nice to know that I can do it. I did a podcast episode about it each week. Got um, a really good response that it inspired a lot of other people to follow suit and take up a month or two months or just have a different perspective on alcohol and just educate a bit more around it. And yeah, it's been a crazy year and done now. But You went to some DJ events and you still went out a few times and didn't drink. How were your experiences there when that was kind of your life where you go into events where you would normally drink but then going to them and being sober? Oh, they were different. It was definitely a really good time. Like what did I do? I went in Sydney. I went and saw Rufus twice, like their big Sydney show and a private boat party with them and then went down to Melbourne for Fishers Festival, which was epic. Um, I've got a lot of friends who are big DJs, so like spent a few no- a bunch of nights out. But my experience was like I'd go enjoy it, have a good time, and then it would get to that sort of 11 to 12 time where everyone's sort of turning the dial up a bit and that's where I'd sort of – exit site stage left I was like I don't really need to be here much past like the enjoyment part of the night and then it goes into kind of the loose part of the night and that's kind of where I exited most of the most of the nights for the last year which has been yeah a different experience but it's been good like getting to realize that the weekends are for resting like my Mm. sleep has improved so much my immunity like I've been sick once the last year my skin's been really good uh, just so many benefits that have come from it that are obvious as well, like saved a bunch more money. There's so many things that we all go, oh, I would like a bit better immunity. Oh, I'd like a bit more money. Oh, yeah, I'd like um, to try and take some time off. But then we all fall back into the, oh, but it's so societally accepted. It's a one drug that you need to explain to people why you're not taking it. But yeah, I mean, I got through the year. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Well said, well done. A lot of the guys that I work with, uh, kind of middle-age bracket, and we all did, a group of mine, we did dry Feb together. And one of the big realizations was around the relationship to alcohol, like when you might want to drink and when you feel like you need to drink and then not actually making taking that call, but also the social piece. Mm. A big thing for people in society is feeling like it's not socially accepted to be there and not drink. But I, I, what I put that down to is um, trust in yourself and also the environment that you're in. Mm. If you're around the right people, like let me ask you that. Did you have friends that discontinued being your mate because you didn't drink or did you have friends that actually were inspired by it? They might have kept drinking but they supported you through it. I think I had both. I definitely lost a few parties. Not lost friends. They're just people that they're not friends unless I'm going out and partying anyway. So it's like – it's not a big loss of friendship. They're all people that I'm sure when I go back out again and party, I'll still be friends with. And they would have done the same thing for the last year. <laughs> but for for me, I'm very lucky. A lot of my friends around me are like quite high level athletes from like world champion wakeboarder, Corey Tunison, Harry Bink, motocross rider. A lot of these guys, since I've been doing it, have pulled back quite a bit themselves or yeah, like Corey didn't go out really much at all. This he's home for like five months over um, summer. He's, he's in America for wakeboarding six months of the year. And over summer, like there might have been once or twice that he went out, and I like didn't kind of get involved because I wasn't drinking. But I didn't really. Feel, I'm lucky. I've got people around me who are kind of on that wellness trend and that kind of questioning. Really, if we need to go out and party all the time, I feel like there's a bit of a movement going around at the moment. People kind of questioning like the whole alcohol industry, like the best psychologist in the country and in the world are paid by these people to create marketing to tell you that you're insignificant and you should be feeling good when you drink their product. And it's like, come on, let's start questioning that. How do you market your alcohol product? <laughs> Does it make people feel good or is it just one of those social things? Um, so our so Gravity Seltzer, our whole thing is like explore more. It's meant for people who want to have two or three drinks, finish up, wake up the next day, not feeling average. There's one standard drink, seltzers, low, um, low carb, low sugar, just for those moments where you want to go out and have a bit of a good time, but leave before it gets too gnarly and be able to wake up and do it all again tomorrow. So that's kind of the way that we're positioning gravity seltzer. We're not looking to be the fizz, the party alcohol. We're looking for the, to enhance those connections we have with people around a fire after a big day of doing activities, Mm. have a couple of them, wake up, be able to do it again the next day. So that's kind of the angle that we're going with our marketing and stuff. Um, 
Brilliant. But yeah, it's, it's no, that's great because there is different ways to look at it where, you know, alcohol, if you've got a healthy relationship with alcohol and you're having it on a very low, like irregular basis, then it, it might not have any negative, big negative effects. But what we know is like what that neuroscientist would have been saying is no alcohol is the healthiest way. Absolutely. So people then can choose, well, do you want to go clean and have zero alcohol? Cause that's the absolute healthiest way. Or are you going to make a healthy relationship for a bit of alcohol in your life? So I love the way that you guys are targeting that. Yeah. And that's kind of where I feel like once I'm going to, I go to Europe in June for a couple of weeks with my sister and Fisher. So I'll um, definitely have a few drinks over there, I think. But once I get back to Australia, I don't reckon I'll drink again. I don't know. Interesting. Awesome. And when you mentioned Fisher there, that's your brother-in-law, DJ yeah. Fisher. I had, um, I, I coached him one day. I was telling this story with, uh, when I had Elodie on the podcast and we did a beach session out the back of Mick um, Fenning's place on, um, on the beach there. And I didn't know Fisher's music and it was the first time I'd met him. And I'd clipped together a little um, Instagram clip. There was about 10 of the guys that trained. It was a really cool one, tennis balls everywhere. Yeah, and I had the blaze pod that. lights. And anyway, I thought, oh, I wonder if Fisher's music's on Instagram. I'll um, put put his music to that. And then when, when I had a look, I realized, oh, yeah, okay. So I do know his music and <laughs> it is pretty popular. Yes, Instagram knows who Fisher is. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely, <laughs> um, he's definitely gone from stardom to stardom over the last couple of years. <laughs> so, mate, um, around the in alignment with everything that you're doing, one question I have for you in kind of a, just from a different perspective What's what do you feel is missing in your life to um, to enhance your mental health? Or you know, you do, you do a lot. You do you're on purpose with your work. You've given up alcohol. Uh, you you do gratitude practices. You've got your communities. Is there anything that you feel like is missing in your life to, uh, or not necessarily missing that but that could be introduced a little bit more to support your mental health and to help you be a good? I think you're already a good human, but consistently be a good human. Yeah, there's so many things I'm working on always. Um, a few big ones for me right now, and I think this is common, is just understanding finance better. I feel like we're so undereducated around generating wealth and setting ourselves up for life at school and we really need to find that ourselves. And now starting a business, having to learn that I need to understand the finance side of stuff far better. It's something I've always kind of pushed to the side from my own sort of upbringing and my relationship with money. So that's something I'm really trying to open myself up to and be more diligent with because I know that's one thing that really plays on my mind. So that's something that affects my mental health as well. Going from a professional athlete to a business owner, my exercise has definitely declined like 60, 70% over the past 12 months, which is something that is a little embarrassing, but also I'm trying to be kind to myself and know that I'm just trying to be kind to myself because I'm finding this balance in between of like, I was a professional athlete who trained multiple times a week, skinny, super fit. I've done a year without really training. I've still maintained my physique. So it's like trying to battle this, like, oh, I'm not doing that much, but I still look fine and I feel fine. But I know I can be doing more when it comes to being at the gym, surfing more. So that's something that I as well kind of struggle with, but it's trying to be kind to myself that no, I'm in this building stage of this business. That's taking a lot of my time and energy and that's okay. So they're two things that I've definitely working on, but uh, giving me a bit of head noise, I guess you'd call it to um, yeah, pick up the game a bit with exercise and understand the financial side of my personal and my business better. Well, thank you for your humility there because I think we're always working on stuff too and that that relationship between financial because if we look at health pillars, financial health is actually one and Absolutely. it's a big part of it like what you said because of how it plays on our mind. As for the exercise, just have the mindset of movement is medicine. Mm. I've worked with so many professional athletes. My wife was training for the Olympics and when you go from being an athlete to not and then the, the difference between the training you have to do to be an athlete compared to the exercise and the movement that we do to be healthy and optimal very different. Exactly. Very different and that's games. what I'm learning. Like I'm actually like, I still like close my rings on my watch like each day that's at like a thousand cows. So I'm like, I'm still keeping up with probably more than the, like than my age and weight or whatever should be. But because I know how much I can do, it's trying to like bridge that gap of, yeah, feeling like I should be doing more because I know what I'm capable of. So mm. it's, yeah, it's trying to be kind with that, but. And being realistic too, of yeah. you know, you're in the building phase. 
take um, optimal minimal philosophy. Mm. I've often dived into that optimal minimal, especially straight after the kids were born, both times optimal minimal training low because the sleep is so impacted and building out your business phase like optimal minimal. Yeah. I prioritize it because it's going to enhance everything else. And you think about it from a mental health perspective and that's the main reason you can we should, I'll drop the word should, main reason that humans need to move is because of how it makes us feel and mm. the, the chemical change. Well, and then there's studies that have just come out from the University of South Australia that show exercise is um, more, I think it's 1.5 times more effective for mental illness than seeing a psychologist or um, uh, prescription medication too. So it's like there's a lot of science out there and yeah, that's why it's, I know it's important to make sure that I'm doing exercise. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I still am maintaining exercise, but it's trying to come to terms with the fact that I'm not being an athlete anymore. Mm, yeah, big difference, yeah. big difference. So, mate, as we wrap up, uh, in alignment with the unbeatable philosophies, I was kind of telling you a little bit about it off air and the unbeatable philosophies is around this uh, belief that we can live an unbeatable life. We're not immune to life's challenges and life's adversities, some of them which might trigger mental illness or mental health challenges. Uh, but the ability to have tools and strategies and and support networks around us to to live our unbeatable lives. So I'd love you to leave the listeners with um, maybe one or two things that you believe that they could focus on to begin with to kind of get started or implement that you believe will help them live their unbeatable lives. Ooh, I mean, a great first step if you're like, oh, this meditation and gratitude stuff does sound good, but oh, I need a bit of structure. Join the 1% Good Club bit of a sneaky plug, but I'd, I've seen the effect it's had. I mean, I don't make any money from it, so it's not really a plug. It's just for you out there if you're listening and you're like, you know what, I want to get into meditation, but I don't know where to start. Join the 1% Good Club. Every morning you can literally on Instagram just click the link that we send um, to a meditation on YouTube. If you miss it, it's all good. It's just about having that reminder and it popping up for you. And then each night people write their three gratitudes um, which is that reminder for you to go, oh, yeah, what are three things that I liked about today? And you read everybody else's. There's been over 300,000 gratitudes written in. I'll have to show Brilliant. you it after this. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, step one, if that's something that you kind of think, you know what, yeah, I want to give 1% of my day to my mental health, join the 1% Good Club, just send out the Good Human Factory a DM saying I want to join the club. Um, and the second one, I think, Going to therapy. I went to therapy for the first time. I saw a psychologist. I've seen sports psychologists many times, but I saw a psychologist for the first time two weeks ago and it's great. It was really cool. It's something obviously I encourage people to do throughout um, if they're really struggling. But I think you don't need to go to a psychologist just if you're struggling. Just if you've got a few confusing thoughts that you want to spit out to somebody. That's how I felt. I've got great people around me who I do talk to all the time, my friends, my family. I'm very lucky. I do have a very close-knit network of people who I do feel comfortable opening up to. But it was just a different experience speaking to a psychologist, getting to try and uncover some stuff rather than speaking to your mates. It's a bit different. But, um, yeah, it's something I really enjoyed and I encourage people to go and do. I don't think it's a weak thing to go and see a psychologist. It's no different than seeing a PT for your fitness it's like all right how can i optimize my mind and yeah maybe i shouldn't be thinking like that and get a bit of clarity on that so yeah number two go see a psychologist or a therapist yeah i love that powerful i love the saying that when you're inside the jar you can't read the label so a coach or a therapist is outside your jar of your life just reading mm -hmm. the label a little Never bit differently like so they're that. just giving a little bit of perspective because you brought up the, the thing about your thoughts and they give a little bit of perspective to change your thoughts change your story change your belief system and that's why they're so effective yeah yeah powerful Mate, where can everyone find you online? You've mentioned Instagram. I want to know all about this um, new merch range. Where can people find it? We're going to put in the show notes. I've got this uh, gratitude tee that I'm proudly going to wear fully in alignment. So where where can we get more of these? Yeah, if you just go to thegoodhumanfactory.com, you can learn obviously all about the business. There's a workshop tab. You can learn about the workshops I run. Obviously, we have the merch on there as well. If you use the code podcast, um, you guys can all have 25% off as well, listeners to your Beautiful podcast as well. Um, yeah, a lot of gratitude. Be kind to your mind. A bunch of cool stuff on there. So you can find that on the website, just thegoodhumanfactory.com. Um, and then for me personally, just Instagram. So probably the best place to find me, just at Cooper Chapman, TikToks. I've got plenty of podcast stuff on TikTok, just at Cooper Chapman underscore, I think it is. And then, I mean, we're everywhere. I've got YouTube for the Good Human Factory. It's just the Good Human Factory YouTube um, the podcast is just good humans with Cooper Chapman on all platforms, but yeah, reach out on social media. If you want to learn anything more about me, I'm always very open and always 
love hearing other people's stories. If I can help in any way, reach out and yeah, hopefully we can continue to make the world's mental health a little bit better. Oh, I love it, mate. That's super powerful. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to ask me? Oh, do you want to come on my podcast? <laughs> I'll ask you. Uh, Simple wait, answer, I yes. I don't know how, I don't know how <laughs> long honest. we'll have it. If you let me ask you questions, I very rarely stop. So we'll save it for a time. Where there we you can. go. Actually, I'll ask you, what are you grateful for right now? Right now, I'm grateful for, there's two things. I'm grateful for this connection. I don't just say it because you're here. I really feel into the gratitude. Super grateful for this connection. Listening to you talk, I see a lot of myself uh, in earlier days of how I started on my trajectory and just your passion and purpose towards just helping people be better mm -hmm. and bettering yourself so it helps, it inspires other people to be better. So just this beautiful connection. I'm super grateful for that. And I'm abundantly grateful for my gorgeous wife and my two kids. It was my 37th birthday yesterday uh -huh. and I had some really great connection with my wife and some close friends and my kids and I just, honestly, I anchor into that every day. Um, so I'm super grateful for that. Beautiful. Thank you, mate. Amazing. Thank you for asking. Cooper, you're a legend. You are more than a good human. You're a fucking great human. I my best. <laughs> and uh, everything that you're doing is impacting the world in significant ways. Uh, I'm super inspired by you and I know that many people who are watching and listening to this will be super inspired by you. So I would say, um, keep overcoming that imposter syndrome, keep doing what you're doing from that place of passion and purpose. Cause it's really making a big difference in the world. Keep shining your impactful and abundant light to the world, my man. Mate, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's been a pleasure. There you go. Another empowering episode. And thanks again for tuning in. Make sure you check out the show notes for any extra links or information that we spoke about in this episode. Don't forget you can now catch the Unbeatable You podcast on the YouTube channel, Brett Robbo Coach. If you want info and inspiration straight into your inbox on how to live an unbeatable life, you can sign up to receive weekly insights and actionable steps for optimal performance and thriving in every aspect of your life, plus first release offers on Unbeatable You courses and live events. Don't worry. There's no spam, just short, punchy, value-giving emails straight to you. Simply go to brettrobbo.com forward slash community. If you find value in this podcast, don't forget to share it around with your mates and subscribe, rate, and review. It really supports the podcast mission massively. If you want to reach out to me personally, you can connect with me at, at brettrobbocoach on social media, and that's where you can let me know who you want to hear on the show. Keep thriving, legends, and as always, remember, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? This is your opportunity to live your unbeatable life.